Welcome to Roll with Adventure, a Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition podcast that transports you through the power of imagination from our world to the far off world of Ibris, a land full of heroes and villains, the evil and the divine, monsters, miracles, and, of course, magic. We're delighted to bring this adventure from our imagination to your ears. If you like what you hear, please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on social media. If you want to learn more about us and this podcast, or preferably both, please visit us at RollWithAdventure.com. And now, let's listen as our heroes roll with adventure. Hello and welcome to episode 30 of Roll With Adventure's campaign of Shadows and Bliss. My name is Cass, and I am the Dungeon Master for this ragtag band of heroes. Today, our journey into this tale of adventure, intrigue, secrets, and magic across the world of Ibris continues. This episode begins near dusk on Mergastam, the fourth of Lyonnais, in the year 1083 PR, beneath the Tenorian Abbey, where our heroes are about to use Yovan's zone of methodical control to learn the capabilities of magic items they have collected along the way. Now, before we dive right in, let's meet our band of heroes. To decide the order of introduction, let's roll player initiative, not character. And remember here, we roll with adventure. So, how dexterous or not have each of you been this past week? Some of you may remember that a while back, uh, my dexterous feat of magic was carrying a sleeping baby up five flights of stairs, getting him out of his shoes, socks, jacket, into his sleep sack, diaper changed, and into his bed without waking him up. That was my magic power. I tested this again today. I drove this one-year-old on various drop-offs to different preschools, and he slept. I carried him out of the car to said preschool, dropped off said children as he slept in my arms, got him back in the car, he slept, got him to his house where he slept, carried him up the five flights of stairs where he slept, changed his diaper, got him in his sleep sack, laid him in his beautiful, comfortable bed where he instantly woke up and then did not sleep again for the rest of the day. So I will take a negative two for ruining nap time. Oh, I feel like you overall did really well. I mean, yeah, but he slept for half an hour when he could have slept for three hours and Sasha didn't get to eat lunch. Uh, Oh, no. (laughs) Because he did not have a sleep. And everyone was cranky. (laughs) I have not done anything of note in the past week. Uh, I had a migraine yesterday. So today my brain is cheese. So I'm going to take a flat roll of whatever. Because um, I'm not dexterous, but also I did make it. Speaking of headaches, this afternoon I had a headache. And I've taken an Advil. Of course you did. Married them. Ayo! Sorry. (laughs) I don't remember what I was saying. I was saying (laughs) that I had a headache. That's fine. Okay, anyway, long story short, I'm going to take a minus one because the headache is basically gone, but I could just feel it lurking there waiting for the room to be too bright or for, I don't know, me to do something that will bring it back. So I'm going to go minus one. I've been trying to rack my brain for something that would qualify, and I think the closest thing was a few days ago. I managed to trip over a curtain while closing my balcony door, so I'm going to take a negative one. Let's see what you roll. Four. I rolled 15, so 13. 11. I have rolled an 18. 
which unmodified is still 18. Well, then, hello, everybody. My name is Brian. I am at MindOverBrian on Twitter and on Twitch, although on Twitch I spell it with a zero. You can usually catch me on Twitch on Mondays and Wednesdays in the evenings and sometimes on Sundays. But specifically for this game, I am playing Melian Barebone, a changeling barbarian uh, who typically appears to be a bearded half of a young man with red hair with a serious scar that cuts from his lip to his ear. Uh, but my fun fact about Melian today is that typically in an effort to not um, appear like he was a man kidnapping a child, when his travels with Faileth, he usually disguises himself as an older woman because they are less suspicious. Uh, so typically he looks like a, um, a sort of a large, um, broad, tall, dark-haired woman um, who uh, he used to know back when he was a mercenary. Hello, my name is Sasha, and I play Faileth, the half-elven bard who was raised by and can speak to ghosts. My fun fact about Faileth this week is that uh, she doesn't know how to whistle. She thinks it is magic. She has tried so hard. Uh, so anyone who can do, like, cool whistling tricks and, like, whistle tunes or things, she's convinced has, like, the most powerful magic in the world. I can't whistle either. I feel... I feel that it is like magic yeah it is my four-year-old can whistle better than me <sighs> i wish i could whistle i wonder if it's like can you pick it up as an adult if you were never able to do it as a child or is your mouth just formed and you're you're doomed to never whistle i don't know i don't think it has anything to do with how your mouth is formed uh but on the other hand i can whistle so i don't know <laughs> i'll just pretend that that it's that i can't do it now forever because just wasn't lucky as a child poor poor me it's probably not the reason at all um anyway hi i'm ali i'm playing quarry anaclathy both stuke base a goliath paladin and fun fact about quarry is that quarry tries to visit the abbey of truce's solace every year at least once a year if not more they love spending time there and when Jovan was younger, they always looked forward to seeing Jovan and sharing stories about their adventures. Cory had very high hopes for Jovan's service to Sol. Hello, uh, my name is David. I played the aforementioned Jovan, Savvy J. Cooperson, a human scholar. Um, fun fact about Jovan, despite having... Uh, broken a number of laws over his life. He's only ever been imprisoned once for a single night, uh, which would have been about a month before he was entrusted to the Abbey, um, after he was found smuggled aboard a merchant's cart in a barrel of wood. Had been, before he'd found his way in there, smoked meats. Now that everyone has introduced themselves, let's get this adventure rolling. And remember here, we roll with adventure. That had some incredible nostalgia. I feel like that was like a 90s cartoon theme. It was, I was thinking very 80s cartoon, but you know, in the in that ballpark. Yeah, yeah. Our session begins amidst the bits and baubles the monks have scrounged for Jovan to set up a zone of methodical control. Surrounded by small pieces of various metals, tools, and instruments, 
Jovan will begin to test the items you have obtained to determine what secrets they might hide. Also, anyone who wanted to can take a short rest and spend hit dice. Except Jovan. Unfortunately, because you're setting up the zone actively, you're busy and not able to spend hit dice. I also should remind you that the HP loss that you had last session as a result of the pool is HP that loss that reduces your maximum hit points until you can finish a long rest. So Jovan, give us a bit of a description of your zone of methodical control. Um, so mechanically, it's a magical circle that unveils the truths of the magical items brought into it to me. Um, but more probably uh, more in line with how Yovan uses it. It's instead uh, a series of tests that he picked up from those with a little more history and arcane studies than he had, designed to unveil the purpose of an item by putting it through its paces. Um, any command words are all making up, are all made up. Speaking of words, words are difficult. Um, of a series of, of broken out syllables, and you can test the details of a magic item by expressing it uh, by uttering these syllables and, and checking to see if there's any reaction from them, form command words from them. Um, initially, he developed this in order to determine if the items that he had recovered had, uh, were cursed, um, and later on developed it further to find out if the items that his team had recovered had more value than they might initially let on. And he'd perfected over the course of several years into uh, a more in-depth system of identification, um, constantly looking for more esoteric items to pick up to expand uh, his system of tests and leading to the system that he's now using today. Thank you. Well, your party now has a couple different magical items. Or items that you think might be magical. What's the order you guys are going to get them tested? Probably going to start with the javelin, um, unless another one has any other objections, just because of how uh, excited Melian has been. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I jack like that Melian goes first. <laughs> no, of course, you do Melian first. Uh, Melian looks like a 10-year-old, just opening his Christmas present, like, <gasps> <laughs> You hand the javelin over to Jovan, and he begins to put it through its paces, testing it in a variety of ways. And while he's doing that, Brian, why don't you read us the capabilities of the item? This is the Mistway Javelin. It is a javelin constructed of pale white wood and tipped with obsidian. Thin trails of mist exude from the two small spheres of cloudy quartz embedded within the wrappings where the meat, whoops, where the wood meets the blade. Between the two small spheres is a small cap where an additional sphere of similar size and shape can be placed. Now, the mechanical effects are that this weapon has two charges which recharge at dawn. If you hit a creature with a ranged attack made with this weapon, you may use your bonus action to expend a charge to teleport to an unoccupied space within five feet of the creature and instantly make a melee attack against them with this weapon. And if we find that other gem, 
and slot it in, uh, it could increase in power. I, it actually says will increase in power, in my, but I thought it'd leave some, some uh, mystery. It could increase in power. But it's really cool. Okay, do my head now. <laughs> Alright, um, I take a look at this skull. Well, Sasha, why don't you read the description of the Shelter of Souls to our listeners? This humanoid skull, gilded in silver and gold, serves as the base for a clear orb of crystal. Inside the orb, a mist eddies around what appears to be a miniature house in an unfamiliar style. Around the base of the skull are written the words, I shelter those no longer tethered to serve as hearth and home, till they decide to ladies' book their souls shall then expire. While the orb is on your person, undead creatures that do not have corporeal bodies have disadvantage on attack rolls against you, and you have advantage on saving throws against their abilities. If you're holding the orb, you can use an action to speak one of its three command words. The first command words allows a spirit to enter the shelter of souls. If a spirit is willing, and that is is not possessing or animating a corporeal body, you can speak the command word within five feet of it and the spirit will be drawn into a special demiplane within the orb through the skull's eyes. The spirit will find themselves in an expansive gothic mansion with grounds and the means to entertain themselves. The second command word allows the wielder to communicate with spirits contained within the orb. While a spirit is within the orb, the holder can use a bonus action to open a telepathic link between them. While communicating in such ways, the spirit may seem to partially materialize outside the orb. The third command word forces a spirit to exit the shelter of souls. You speak the command word, and the spirit is shunted from the orb, appearing within five feet of you. A spirit that has been ejected from the orb must either begin to return to its place of resting, or return to the orb within one minute. If the spirit does not, it will be drawn into the afterlife, afterlife forcefully. TLDR... Faileth has a ghost house now. Hell yeah. Nice. Excellent. Ghost house for Faileth. They're gonna love in my ghost house. David, for the three items that you collected from the tombs of the four brothers, why don't you read them out to our listeners? Yeah, I was was gonna say, probably figuring out the properties of the green crystal would be more important um, and more pressing on Yovan's mind, but for uh, building up to it for narrative reasons. We'll leave that to last. So, first taking a look at the boots. They are boots of elven kind. While you wear these boots, your steps make no sound, regardless of the surface you're moving across. You also have advantage on dexterity stealth checks that rely on moving silently. Then there are the gloves, which are gloves of swimming and climbing. While wearing these gloves, climbing and swimming don't cost you extra movement, and you gain a plus five to strength athletic checks made to climb or to swim. And finally, the goggles are eyes of the eagle. These crystal lenses fit over the eyes. While wearing them, you have advantage on wisdom perception checks that rely on sight. In conditions of clear visibility, you can make out details of even extremely distant creatures and objects as small as two feet across. And then the other two things that I think we were going to be... Three things that we're going to be looking at um, was the pool, if we could determine anything more than what we discovered just through natural use. The broken-down container for uh, the multiple mines that Melian and Faila uh, broke 
that contained the minds of the parents of the folks known in the village, and finally the green crystal, which presumably holds the light and magic of the townsfolk down in the city of Barrowman. And then if anyone else... Does anyone else have items that they have picked up that... Because, Jovan, if I remember correct, if there is an item inside your region, inside the zone, you'll know about it, right? Or do you have to direct your inspection to it? Uh, as long as this effect is act... Am I muted? Don't know. Oh, okay. Um, as long as this effect is active, you detect the presence of magic within the control zone. As an action, you can pinpoint all visible items and creatures with magical effects. If you touch a creature for one minute, you learn what spells are affecting it. Additionally, if you study a magic item or item under a spell for one minute, you learn its properties and how it works, as well as the conditions for its use and remaining number of charges, if any. If the item is under a spell, you identify the spell. If the item was created through a spell, you learn the spell's name. So yeah, everything that's magical within the zone is determined. I've got my necklace thing. Oh, right. Yeah, let's take a look at the necklace. And what's the shield door magic? I think that was... I think I was supposed to ask about that last time we set up a zone control, actually. (laughs) 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 Okay, so uh, Faelith's necklace and the um, and Quarry's door, then. Sasha, the necklace is also in your your document. Yeah, I already read it, which is why I remembered it. I'm like, oh yeah, I did get that cool necklace. Had a whole thing about it. That's where I discovered my new love for feet. The Serum Tear Amulet. This small, smooth, milky white stone set in an amulet of burnished bronze is said to be a tear shed by a serum, the great serpents of stone. The command word, as told to me by Natty, my beloved feet-loving crazy woman, is fiddle-faddle, and I love that. Uh, This amulet has two of its original three charges. As a bonus action, I can expend one charge and speak the command word to imbue your form with a modicum of the serum's grace. For one minute, you can move through solid earth or stone as if it was air and without destabilizing it, but you can't end your movement there. If you do so, you are ejected to the nearest unoccupied space, take 2d8 force damage, and are stunned until the end of your next turn. If you expend the last charge, the serum tier cracks and crumbles into a fine white dust. So basically, Faileth is even better at vanishing now. Seems bad. Seems great. That's dangerous. Oh, I can't get... No one can get into this room? Great, let me just step through the wall. And be in there all by myself. This won't go badly at all. And I didn't catch it. Is there any way to recover those charges? Uh, no, once they're expended, the necklace crumbles into nothing. So you need to make sure to save both charges to get into said room and then out of the room after. I mean, but she doesn't know that. Uh, now she does. Oh, that's true. Uh, Jovan but will she it. remember? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing to note is that when you use a charge, you have it for a minute. So, so long as you don't end your movement in between, I could you'll get be fine. In and out, yeah. Yeah, you could as long as go it's within in a minute, and then get back out if it's in a minute. But then she'd use her second charge, and it would crumble. But she and she wants to keep it. It's pretty. <laughs> And the shield would be next, if it was magical. Uh, So you do note 
that the shield has magic, but the magic is radiating from the red uh, gem, the doorknob that is on it. And you actually have no idea what this gem is made of. It is not ruby, but it is not any other crystalline substance that you have ever come across before. And at the moment, your comprehension of this is that anything that were to strike this door and hit the door would produce an exceptionally loud sound. Did you know, Gory, that your door has a built-in knocker? Uh, yes. It, uh, if anyone attacks me from behind, it, it rings out and notifies me. I don't know why. <laughs> well, it's an enchantment on the doorknob. Uh, huh. I can see why you might take it for use as a shield. That's it. Yes, it's always watching my back. Right. Uh, sorry, got distracted there. I, I suppose back to what we're here for. Um, am I able to determine anything more about the, the pool of water or the contraption that the necromancer was using? Concerning the pool of water, you can determine that it has the... That, that you've gone through all the motions for it. It requires holy symbols placed in each hand and an offering placed in the bowl to raise the water. And to utilize it, an individual must be thinking of a location when they press their face down into it. But uh, you can also tell that it has been tainted. There is another dark magic that is over top of it somehow. And along with that, you do get a distinct feeling that you're meant to be able to use this pool more often than you can, and that the level of malevolent magic will likely decrease over the next month. That's honestly more than I was expecting to get. Concerning the remainder remnants of the choir, there is distinctive preservation magic over them, as well as strengthening bonds that have been placed on it. Uh, what you understand from it is that it is intense necromancy that keeps the brains active inside it, but also allows them to be very easily controlled and pointed, which allows a necromancer, say, to control the brains, which then allows them to expand their influence exponentially, allowing perhaps a necromancer to control far more undead than they should be able to, or a wider range. Okay, so... We have the, the rough understanding of that, then. Um, and I suppose, finally, unless there's anything else I've forgotten, the green gem that holds the light of the villagers. I am slightly curious, and Quarry wouldn't ask, but I'm wondering if there's any magic that you see related to Carlin. Sure, yeah. I'd be on the looking out for other magical objects that we hadn't realized were more than mundane. There's two more objects that I guess would be very clearly visible for you to see. Uh, Faileth's mother's skull is actually lit up like a Christmas tree. Mm -hmm. And Carlin himself is looks like he might just only be composed of magic. Just to confirm, Carlin is the 
um, the octopus. octopus familiar. Yeah, you um, get a feeling that he is a familiar. He is a he is a familiar spirit, like that a typical like a wizard would have. Cory just thinks he's a long way from home. I, I think Yovan would assume that Cory knew more about the <laughs> octopus than he did. Oh, good. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Octopus is totally magic. That lines up. That, that checks out. Yeah. He's totally natural. He just somehow has come here all the way from the north. Um. So yeah, just the green gem then. Similar to the red stone attached to the door, this gem, while you at first thought it was emerald, appears to be different green substance. You don't know what it is. It also, while you had thought that it had been expertly cut, it doesn't appear that it has been cut. It was formed that way. Yeah, it appears that it was formed that way in some whatever formed it. You do note that there are two indents near the top and the bottom, as if there were at one point perhaps metal bands or bands of some kind embedded into it that have been removed. Your understanding of this, based off of Jovan's own understanding of magic, is that this has the capacity to hold a tremendous amount of magic inside it. It's a battery of sorts. To an extent. Actually trying to figure out how to release the magic from it, you think that a ritual of some kind perhaps might be able to free the magic that is contained within it, but what first steps you would need to take, or what that would need to be part of the ritual, you're not confident at this time. Further study, perhaps sleeping on it, <laughs> Fair enough, okay. I, uh... Alright. The good news is, I think... I think the, the magic can be returned to people. Um, I'm not able to put together the pieces on how quite yet, but... I, I think we have all the pieces here. I just need to spend some time and... See if I can figure out how it all fits together. But we can do this. We can make things right again. I'm relieved to hear you say so. Hopefully, the abbot will be able to tell us more about how to release the magic. Alright, he's going to pray. Pray <laughs> the answers in. Uh, right, of course. Well, I, I suppose I'd relay all the information that I got. I wasn't keeping any secrets there, other than. Of course. Um, the skull is magical, and of course the uh, oc sentient octopus creature is also magical. That doesn't even bear passing along. Um, the pond, the rather sorry, the bowl should be usable usable again within a month. There is some sort of affliction or curse in it, and grows with use and fades within attention uh, given time given time we can return and learn more but we don't have time I think you're right I don't think we have the time we should warn the abbot to 
Ensure no one uses it until it is safe again. Of course. Cass, how close to dusk is it? Because you're underground, you can't be 100% sure if, like, exactly when dusk is going to be. But it should be either rapidly approaching or has already passed. Of note, the abbot is not down here with your party at this time. The abbot is likely having his evening prayers, and soon it will be time for us to view the observatory and see if we can find out what it was they were looking at. I wouldn't mind getting a look at those tapestries that you mentioned, Yovan. The journal mentions that that there is significance to them, and perhaps they can give us some information. No, I just, honestly, beautiful works of art. I'd be happy to spend time looking at them without being uh, being in the process of chasing a necromancer all around the tower. Uh, but the last thing I want to mention, Cass, um, the bones that currently, I think it's Melian. No, it's Cory that is carting the entire skeleton around. Yep. Um, are they inherently magical at all? Uh, so when you... Uh, there's a... Sorry to spring that on you. If I don't get any information, that's fine. They do appear magical in some way, shape, or form, but it's almost as if they're having the opposite effect of whatever... Like, opposite reaction to whatever you think it should be doing. Okay. Almost as whatever power is infusing them is a bit like the opposite of magic. That's probably a good thing. That seems like a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we seek out the abbot, and we let him know about uh, about the shrine that we found here, and the dangers that it might carry if used too soon. Next, I need to, to find a way to unlock the gem and return to the townsfolk was lost. And finally, there's the boundary that was spoken of by the garrison logs and by the, the older woman. Though, maybe returning the, the magic to the town will fix that as well. Or perhaps simply driving the necromancers away has solved that. Only way to know is to try to leave and find out. Yes. And I suppose there's also the creature that we encountered by the shrine that the townsfolk spoke of. Even when we return the magic to the people, we should be aware of it. It might require some further action on our part to deal with permanently. Aware of it? I am looking forward to meeting that monster again. And Melian spins <laughs> his new spear very coolly. A lot to do. Not a lot of time, but we have answers now. Tools, better understanding, we're better equipped. Speaking of being better equipped, perhaps we should determine who should take the items that we found in the coffin. Oh, I imagine they'll be used as they need to be used, but yeah, we could figure out caretakers. Cass, do they need attunement, or are they just... Uh, some of them do, yeah. The gloves did, at least... 
gloves do the goggles do and, and the boots don't yeah my gut says actually probably give the boots to Vori as they're the only one that really struggles with stealth in the group I think that that would probably be beneficial for all of us in the long run um, though of course we can always swap boots around if we have one person that's going on a mission and they want to be uber silent very true sending, um, if we're sending Melian into another bed that's dead alone <laughs> It'd probably be helpful to get... Yeah, but I already get, get advantage on stealth rolls. Oh, do you? I don't oh, need okay. to be quiet. I get advantage on stealth rolls because I have can shape change. Oh, yeah, that'll do it. And the um, the gloves and swimming and climbing are probably just going to be handed around as they're needed. Mm -hmm. um, I think that Jovan does the most climbing generally. But they're probably good at, yeah, swapped around. And then the goggles, as originally assuming Jovan would take, but um, advantage on perception really doesn't help when I already have a negative one on perception. Not looking at our numbers. I feel like it makes the most sense for Jovan because he seems to be the, like, studious, observant one, which is kind of funny with such a low perception score. Uh, he's very much one to get, uh, can't see the forest because of the trees. His investigation is phenomenal. Actually, like... <laughs> Noticing things that he's not looking for? <laughs> no. Can't happen. <laughs> she wasn't judging you there at all. No. No judgment. None at all. I can just really imagine Jovan wearing them. <laughs> Maybe just because he's studious and they are like glasses. I can't see Melian wearing glasses. I don't know. Maybe that's just it's too stereotypical. Maybe we should battle the stereotype. I mean, they're specifically Google or uh, goggles. Googles. <laughs> they are Googles. Difficult. They're goggles, not glasses. But yeah. Yeah, I do not feel strongly in any particular direction about it. Honestly, the goggles, if we're going story-wise, probably wouldn't get worn until we needed to see something distantly. We wouldn't just be like wandering around with them on. With your binoculars on your head. Yeah. Um, but they need attunement. Like, the thing is, is we don't want to have to wait an hour in the moment we need them. Oh, oh that's yes. true. Yes, good point. Yeah, like, so someone that, should that, be that's wearing the thing them. about both the gloves and the the goggles is someone should attune to them. Right? Because otherwise, no one will be able to use them when we need them. Good point. I hadn't thought about that. It is not super useful to us. We're like, oh, we need to see this. Okay, everybody, just wait an hour. <laughs> we'll we'll take a look. Cass, no please don't make the thing we're looking at leave. Yeah. <laughs> they'll probably Better still they'll probably still be hour. having this conversation, right? Totally. So um following that then the gloves should again probably go to whoever's <laughs> which I think would be we're we're all pretty good at climbing and swimming. Like we don't struggle there. My athletics is not bad, so I I would be happy for somebody else to have the gloves that Cora <laughs> yeah, I'm already a plus five at athletics. I probably don't need to. I already have my gloves. Uh, my here. athletics are zero. Oh. Baylith, would you like some gloves? What eight. I mean, or you give me the gloves and I continue to carry Faileth anytime we need to go up. <laughs> I mean, I like that better. I would or much swim. prefer. Yeah, sure, my brain was them. connecting the dots of, oh, okay, so Faileth can now walk through the walls. <laughs> and she can climb, and she can swim. You're just loading her to get away from you guys. That's right. Yes. <laughs> that I'm was something all on my places mind. by myself. That always goes well when I'm alone. Uh, it, sounds yeah, like yeah. it sounds like I'm taking those gloves. It sounds like I bullied my way into getting those gloves. 
um, uh, Corey takes the boots, and there might actually be something, seeing as uh, Faileth is the one who can see shit that we can't. I don't know, are extremely distant, distant ghosts a thing? <laughs> oh, should we give it to the only person that, would be that has dark vision? That's also fair, yeah. Actually, yeah, with that, absolutely stick it on, on Faileth. As long as um, mechanical goggles don't uh, ruin the aesthetic. I mean, I've just got this wave thing going on. If anything, we'll just say it makes my eyes bigger. <laughs> you know, like those cartoons with the Coke bottle glasses that suddenly they just have these gigantic eyes. That's canonically Faileth now. She's just gotten ten times more adorable. She lo- She's the kid from Jerry Maguire. That's adorable. With that, are you guys going to head on up? I think so. If if the um, if anybody else is at their evening prayers, Corey would just quietly join in. As you guys are making your way up, you go up the stairs and you pass through the lower levels. And as you're passing through the scriptorium, uh, one of the monks uh, opens the door and, comes, and is walking in the same direction and goes, Oh, good, I found you. Uh, we were just setting up the table for dinner. Would you join us? Ooh, what are we eating? We've put together as best of a spread that we could for us, as well as the additional mouths to feed. That didn't answer my question. (laughs) Mostly some smoked meats uh, and some various nuts that we have, as well as some preserves and canned vegetables and fruits. Ooh, gourmet! You do know how to pull off all the stops. We would be delighted to join you for dinner. It's most generous of you. We'll be starting with a hearty gruel, and then move on to that. Uh, And he leads you up, and you pass through the outside garden that has been lightly dusted with snow, and then you come into the large, expansive foyer. So this is the first area that there are tapestries hanging. This circular room is wide and massive, illuminated from above by stained glass windows that line the walls, going up by about 20 feet and even higher up. A large window that some of you know uh, is the oculus of the Abbey's Observatory, shines down with the light of the moon, even though you're fairly confident that you shouldn't be able to see the sky. As you cross over to these stairs that wrap around the edge, you see that there are three large tapestries that hang at this level, each depicting a different member of the Celestial Triad. Liana, Gnosis, and Sol. Are you going to stop or pause to look at them, or do you want to just go up to dinner? If he's leading us to dinner, I think Corey would probably I'm hungry. decide to come I'm back going later. Up. Not doesn't want to keep everybody waiting, but Corey would like to look at the tapestries later. So as you wrap up and around, you come to a, a balcony that juts out part way. You can see off to your right there is a staircase that also leads higher up, likely 
for for those of you that have gone up there, you know that this that leads to the actual observatory level. But on the far end of this balcony, you see a double door that is slightly ajar, and from inside, you can hear the sound of children talking. Oh, great. From this angle, you can now see through the windows and out, and you can see that it has... that dusk has passed. You may have been down in the depths of the catacombs a bit longer than you expected. Through these windows, though, I will say that the night appears completely pitch black. Whereas, looking through the oculus above, you can clearly see one of the moons. Hmm. You pass through the double doors, and you come into a room with a long table. You can see the children sitting around it, the abbot sitting at the head of the table, the brothers sitting interspersed amongst the children, likely to help them. And at one end of the table, uh, near Estrella and the abbot, there are four seats empty on the bench for you. Quarry would go take a seat. Heck yeah. Nuts and dried meat and canned vegetables. I'm here for this. Hello, children. Hello. Have you had a nice day? Miss Estrella's been really nice to us. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You all seat yourself. And the meal begins with a brief prayer to the Celestial Triad. And then it moves into a nice and hearty meal. It begins with a, not as much of a gruel, but more of a porridge. Likely to help settle the stomach and fill people up. And then it moves into a smaller array of some dried meats, little bits of cheese. What appears to be some freshly baked biscuits, as well as some canned fruits and vegetables. It looks like the abbot may have maybe opening his stores a bit more than he would typically for a meal at the abbey. As you can see, the brothers eating with gusto. Is there anything you guys would like to talk about during dinner? I think Cory has some questions for Estrella. Well, maybe only one question, but I don't want to preempt anything anybody else would like to say. No. I'm busy. I've got food. <laughs> Indeed. I have a hot meal. Never turn down a hot meal. Okay. In that case, probably after people have finished their gruel and we've moved on to the meat and nuts, Cory would turn to Estrella and say, I know you study the flare, and I i don't know what else you do study, but have you ever heard of the Red Wind? When you say the Red Wind, Estrella looks at you and goes, No, I haven't, but you notice that the abbot has frozen. Oh. And then he puts down his cutlery and looks at you and goes, Can you repeat that, please? I was hoping that um, Estrella would have some information for me about a thing called the Red Wind. We're looking for some information about it. The Red Wind is an astrological phenomenon. 
It is. There is a... There is a tapestry in the observatory above that depicts it. Hmm. It is a twin-tailed red comet that appears approximately every 200 years or so. It is usually... How do I put this? It brings with it strife and bloodshed. Hmm. Quite often it is when it alights the sky the greatest turmoil comes upon the land. Dynasties fall. Empires collapse. Do you know when the next time the comet is supposed to appear will take place? It is already on its way. Hmm. I had thought that I would wait to speak with your party about my prayer, and that I consulted the stars as well after. But the red wind does play into what I have seen in the stars. At this time, it cannot be seen with the naked eye, but... The twin streams are, at this moment, framing the Lyre Star, when viewed through a telescope. These are interesting portents, but I do not wish to scare the children. Would you be willing to speak with us about it after dinner? Yes. Please join me in the observatory after dinner, and I will share what I know. Is that the direction that the telescope was directed by the cultists? It's interesting that you ask that. In a way, yes. There there were three of our four telescopes were directed at specific constellations. The first was directed towards the Coiled Serpent, of which the Lyre's star that which the red wind at this time frames is the tip of its tongue. The second is of a constellation known as the Continent Crab. And the third was the Hunter Shark. And the fourth? It was not trained on anything specific. To be honest, it was pointing at a wall. Ah. Either it was knocked or was not. It appears that the star charts that were being made were removed. The copies were taken by whoever escaped. But the ink did bleed partially. And I have I do concur that based off of how the ink appears to have bled into the below that it is likely that this is what they were having us depict hmm let us speak more of this after yes of course of course as the meal comes to a close he'll lead everyone in another prayer and he'll ask some of the brothers as well as Estrella to help the children off to bed and to make sure that everyone is comfortable and then he looks to your group and says, please follow me and bring 
brings you guys up to the observatory. Melian nudges Faleth and it's like, we don't really mind all the praying if we all continue to feed us as well, huh? Uh, I suppose it's a small price to pay for nuts and meat and candy vegetables. Right. This is pretty sumptuous. You should be careful. That's how they got me. Well, part of it. Oh, friend Yovan, I would never stay. Oh god, could you imagine? The monks would eventually burn me. I feel almost certain. Plus, they'd never let me keep this fantastic holy symbol. I would be asked to give it up. You see the abbot looking back over his shoulder at you <laughs> with an eyebrow raised going, You will be returning the holy symbol of our order. No, it's his. It is an important piece of our history. Melian just looks innocent like, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, fairly the kind of spoiled that for you already. <laughs> We did agree not to take what we didn't need. I... I don't know what you're talking about. Or he gives Million a bit of a... grim... look. While this is going on, the small staircase that you are being led up leads up to a wide balcony that cuts this level of the observatory in half, leaving the far side open to the floors below. Offset from the center of the dome above you is a massive oculus window through which you can see the stars of the night sky. At the edge of the balcony, four complex telescopes are arrayed, aimed out towards the oculus. At least all four are now. Next to each telescope stands a table with parchment, some blank, and other bear others bearing the remnants of what could be star charts as well as quills and inkwells. Comfortable chairs are arrayed around this room. Though in the center, between the telescopes, the balcony juts out to a small point, and upon a column of marble sits a strange contraption of orbs, bands of metal, gears, and lenses. The back walls of this room are adorned with tapestries depicting the celestial triad and other deities that helped them in the ordering of the night sky at the beginning of time. What are you guys going to do here? I'm gonna accidentally drop that holy symbol into my bag and then move the little rags and clothes around so that maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't know where it is. Quarry would have immediately tried to resume the conversation with the abbot that they left off at the table. Please. Please sit. He beckons you to the various chairs that are scattered around as he takes his own seat. And he brings his fingers in front and tents them as he looks to you. I have communed with the celestial triad in prayer. I was shown visions. It is my thought that the Triad smiles upon your endeavor. I saw the center of Barrowman's, beneath the midday light of soul. I saw the townsfolk laid around the square and the streets beyond it. Outside of their homes, beneath the direct light of the sun, I saw a figure with the jewel raised above the square, 
and a sense of freedom. My visions ended with a warning, though. Three chances, three trials, three choices, one voice. Bring torches. The fact that it asks you to bring torches in the midday sun has me perplexed and concerned. You see the abbot sort of motion uh, to the stairwell that you came up, and you see one of the monks shuffles in, holding a book in his hands. And then the abbot sort of makes a motion, and you see him walk over and sit down on a bench nearby. After my visions, I consulted the stars briefly. It seems that the Grey Mother is at this time in the House of the Crab, while the Purple Child is in the House of the Hunter Shark. And the Liar Star, as I mentioned earlier, aligns with the coming of the Red Wind. The Grey Mother, residing in the House of the Crab, speaks of stability, new growth, and restoration, all good signs. The purple child resides in the house of the hunter shark, though is of concern. It speaks of danger and peril, that things are not as they seem, and of battle. It speaks of blood being shed. I do not know if this is directly connected to what you will do, or if it is a portent of the weeks to come. The Lyre Star, as I mentioned, it is the tip of the Coiling Serpent's Tongue, a constellation often associated with duality, deceit and truth, poison, antidote, life, death. It is not often in alignment with the coming of the Red Wind, nor are any of them often in alignment. For the red wind does not alight our skies except every few hundred years. Though it cannot be seen by the naked eye at this time, with the oculus I did see the twin streaks framing the lyre star. This is a portent that the serpent's ability of guile is sundered. This represents that the power of deceit is weakened, that honesty and truth are elevated. What you make of this, I can only say. Trust yourselves. Do not trust the word of others that would lead you from your path. You must follow the path that you've laid out. Now, I asked Brother Edwards to research the gem as he had most recently, before the incident, been copying old manuscripts, one of which he mentioned to me, had a similarly shaped drawing of a gem. He informed me shortly before dinner that he did find something that may interest you. We'll hear what he has to say. I mean, I'd say yes, but I don't think anyone cares what I think. Melian has dozed off. He's aware that in the military you need to take what sleep you can. He's not the boss. Paladin. I would be very grateful if you would share the information with us. You see the 
monk comes forward, shuffling, belying a bit of a limp. I found a sketch of it in an old journal, though it's missing two metallic bands that wrapped around the tips of the gem. It may be an old artifact called a Firashen, a magical container capable of containing great power, or a prison, depending on translation. Halfling is a bit hard, I'm sorry. It is there referenced here in this journal as imperfect copies of the Sathrin. It also notes that it may have some form of limited will and apparently a perverse sense of right and wrong. It may try to defend itself, to be safe, whomever conducts the ritual, to free the occupants, must have an in-depth understanding of magic, but little to no magic themselves, but also the capacity. Otherwise, whoever conducts the ritual to free it may find themselves trapped. Edwards, you really must not tax yourself. You should get Estrella to look at that cough in your breathing. It is getting worse. Need to worry about me, Abbot. There is also a, a reference here to an unseen hand, but the writer never completed this section. There are some notes and arcane phrases that I do not uh, understand. I hope that that is helpful. And he will put it down on, he'll put the journal down on one of the tables and bows to the abbot and then shuffles off. Well, that does certainly give us more insight into what is required. Right. So, uh, Professor Ortek, the appraiser. Hmm. If we can convince him to help, I can think of no one else who possesses a mastery of the arcane like he does without actually drawing on its power himself. I thought we were speaking of you, Yoga. Yes, my friend, I think you sell yourself short, and 
we cannot go to Dwemer Hollow before we have completed this task. Uh, well, perhaps I know a, a trick or two, and some small aspects of curse breaking and identification, but no master. No, I'm not a master of an arcane arts by any stretch. And if we fail here, the lives of the townsfolk are. No, I couldn't. Not in good conscience. Not when there is somebody close at hand. That better fits the bill. But I don't think that there is. The barrier is up and we cannot travel to Dwemer Hollow. Perhaps. You may be our best shot. I have faith that Soul will guide you. It's... That's a possibility, I suppose. I'd hoped that maybe it was the... The necromancers fleeing would lower the barrier, that it wasn't intrinsically tied to the tragedy of the townsfolk, but... I think what we learned was that it was a defense against the ritual that was sucking the magic out of the people. I don't know if that is still active, even though they're gone, or if... I'm not sure. Right, it all depends on whether it's... determines the threat has passed because the ritual that is pulling the magic has finished, or if it will not be happy until what was taken was returned. It's a simple thing to test. Yes. I suppose so. Still, this is troubling but helpful information. Thank you, Father. You have been incredibly helpful with your insight. I believe that the Celestial Triad smiles upon your endeavors. I will leave you here. Before you go, Father, I was hoping you would tell us more of the Red Wind. Ah, yes. And you see him turn towards the tapestries that line this room. And he points to a third tapestry. And this tapestry is predominantly of blacks and blues with thin band, thin bands of purples and other dark colors swirled like the cosmos. But assaulting across it is a brilliant swath of red, shaped to resemble a twin-tailed comet. And stitched along the bottom is a phrase, our gaze unceasing to await the sign. May I ask, Abbot, what your mission here is at the Abbey? We are simple caretakers. We watch the sky for portents, and those portents we ensure are known. We communicate with those beyond us to the capital in Ogdenfell and to others nearby. Passing our information along. You have a way to communicate. Now, yes. We have trained carrier pigeons. You don't have one of the cloths that would allow you to communicate more directly? No. At one point, our order did possess one, but it was lost. 
a great many things and a great many secrets, I would assume, about this order have been lost over the years. Hmm. A few hundred years ago, during a visitation of the Red Wind, the flare swept across the land and did remove the majority of the upper echelons of the order. Mm. Ever since then, we have mostly struggled to maintain our size and endure. Hmm. I understand. I'm sorry. I apologize. You were on your way somewhere, and I'm keeping you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. I'll see you again in the morning. And you see him cross, and he doesn't go to his bedroom. He instead climbs up higher towards the chapel above. Soon enough it will be time for us to sleep, but perhaps we should make a plan for the... For our actions tomorrow. For sure. Better than going blind. What's there to um, plan? We break the gems, give everyone back their souls, the thing comes down, we finish it, we kill whatever is evil, I guess, if there is any left, and then everyone's happy. The end. <laughs> sorry, sorry, are we making plans? I, no, I, I just told you there. what the plan is. Just breaking the gem might not do it. It's as likely to break with the magic of the people inside it as to let it free. We need to be in town and ready by midday. I think we'll have to leave here early so that we can return to the town and convince the townsfolk to come out at midday for the use of the gem. I wish that he had seen whether it was the ghosts of the town folk or if it was their actual sleeping forms that needed to be arrayed outside I think it must be the oh Quarry gets this sort of like look of um like they're just having this realization you mean you think we may need to carry all of their bodies out of doors and that would explain why everyone was lying down. Yeah, that's... I think you are... We should leave early in the morning, then. We'll have our work cut out for us. Very, very early. I'd like to perhaps deal with the light-starved villagers rather than the... the mindless, forgetful ones of the daytime. You think we should leave before dawn? No. I can appreciate your desire for haste. The girl needs rest. I suppose. I might take the... If I can carry with me a source of light, I can get the town prepped. If you would meet me there in the morning. I will accompany you. I do not think bit. it is safe for you to go alone. Forgive me for saying so, but if the girl needs rest, I suspect the two of you will as well. I, as I recall, neither of you had a good night's sleep last night. Well, I'm this is fine. 
You can't go. I mean, you can go two days without sleep. If you go six days, you start hallucinating. Did you know that? It's kind of brilliant. <laughs> Jovan, perhaps they're right. We have attempted much in a short period of time. And while it may be easier to reason with the, the townsfolk while they are the creatures that they are at night... If we run into anything, I don't think either of us are in any shape to tackle it ourselves. I suppose. Every day we lose, though. I know. But we do have to sleep sometime. Don't you want to get your new cool stuff from your next level? I don't get anything from my next level. I get more hit points. Hit points. An extra trick. <laughs> don't you want your hit points? I barely use them, anyways. As long as you have more than one, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I I understand what you say, and you're right that we are under very difficult time constraints. But starving ourselves of sleep to the point that we are no longer as functional as we could be—I don't think that that is a wise course of action and none of you are as adept at catnapping as I am and we cannot see in the that's because you turn into a lion Malian that's so funny I I was not attempting to be funny catnap I because <laughs> you turn into a lion which is like a big cat I, Would you say I, that when he rests, he's lying down? <laughs> Yovan's funny too! <laughs> I'm really tired, you guys. This is ridiculous. Yes, I think that we... Uh, I do think that we should sleep. If we're talking like a mechanical thing, I've got no spells. <laughs> I will be up to recite the Lumen, and then I hope we will be able to depart shortly after. I suppose that'd be for the best. Cass, did they show us somewhere that we could crash for the night? Yes, they pointed to to a couple rooms that you could have the option to rest in if you wanted to. Great. I would love to. Unless anybody has anything else. Uh, We were going to peek at the tapestries, weren't we? Right. You guys as a party are going to get up close to them? Well, the quarry certainly will. Sorry, I feel like I missed something. Get up close to what? The tapestries. Oh, no. Melian is not interested in the tapestries, even a little. For the five tapestries on this level, can I have investigation checks from both Kawari and Yofin? <laughs> Two. The colors are very nice. That's a crit. Okay. Uh, 26. We're having vastly different experiences. There are five tapestries. The first, on this level, depicts Gnosis in his voluminous robes of purple and black. As he stretches them open, and they fall out, creating the canvas of the sky. The second tapestry shows Morgan 
the Forage Lord, not one of the Celestial Triad, crafting a sphere of shimmering gray metal in the first panel, which he then offers up to Sol in the second, and in the third, you see Sol hanging it in the sky as the Gray Mother, one of the moons. Stitch along the bottom of this, in common, is the title Morgan's Gift. The third tapestry is a single panel predominantly colored in blacks and blues, as I described earlier, that displays the red twin-tailed comet, but up close, stitched along the bottom, is the phrase, Our gaze unceasing to await the sign. But, Jovan, up close, you do note that amongst the stitching, you see what looks like a series of lines and that end in capped circles, similar to what you saw in the catacombs. Ooh, that Melian can read. Melian's getting drug over to the tapestries. Yeah, it sounds like. That writing that we saw down, that led into the crypts of the three brothers and mm. the magic items therein. There's more of it here. Can you tell me what it says? Well, I will certainly try, although I do not know how I knew in the first place what the writing downstairs said. So I promise nothing. As long as you haven't forgotten. Malian takes a look at the writing. The text appears to say uh, the shard is the key to open the way or deny the red wind. If the shard is the key, and we know that the cultists were looking for the shard, they likely haven't found it yet. If we can find it before them. It's worth noting that in the letter that I read, they didn't seem to be working with the Frost King anymore. Hmm. I'm not hmm. sure if... Stopping it would be a way of perhaps preventing something that the Frost King has planned. Maybe that there are separate disasters descending upon us. Seems that way. But if the Flare accompanied the Red Wind the last time... Or... Was it the last time, Cass, or was it the, like, couple of times ago? Approximately... 200 years ago so the last a bit a bit more than 200 years ago the red wind came and that was when the flare gripped the continent and wiped out the upper echelons the right. Tenorian order so okay so quarry will continue what they were saying we do need to address what is happening with the children in Dwemer hollow but it seems now we have more to consider with the the Red Wind. If the last Red Wind brought with it the Flare, which killed so many, and we can do something to stop it, I think that we should. If the Red Wind is the twin-tailed comet, and this is only now the first time that you're hearing of it, why do you have it painted on your shield? Well, um, the shield is a door to a place that I found during the Blissful Rebellion. I never really understood the significance of the comet, but the enchantment on the door seemed useful. 
Now it seems I am learning more about what it is that I carry around with me. So if the cult of the Blissful Rebellion is going around emblazoning the symbol on their buildings, that doesn't strike me as the actions of a group that wants to stop it. No, I don't think that they do want... Well, there are two things. One, I don't know that this door was made by the cultists. They take over things that are built by others, just like they take over the bodies of people that have died. They they don't create things themselves, I don't think. So it's possible that the door predated their time in that building. But also, if the comet can bring with it something like the flare, all the better for the necromancers. Imagine all of those fresh dead for them to do with what they will. That seems like an enormous expenditure of energy. Perhaps that is why they are stealing the magic of towns. Hmm. That's an interesting thought. To be able to turn many dead into undead at once would require enormous power. And perhaps the shard that this tapestry speaks of is not the shard that the Blissful were seeking or acquired. It would be too much of a coincidence if it was the one that we held. We have a shard? Yeah, the green shard has all the souls of the townsfolk in it. Oh. Not their souls, their light. Their light, sorry, not their souls. <laughs> Did I miss Cass describing it as a shard? I've always described it as a approximately forearm length green crystal. But it could be a shard of something. It's clearly a shard of crystal. We were we just went over this. (laughs) Don't mind me. I'm a little bit out of it. Um, Okay. I I suppose we continue on to the next set of tapestries to see if there's similar writing on those. Just dragging Melian behind you. (laughs) Poor Melian. Read this for us. Read that. The next two tapestries don't have any more of that writing on it, but the fourth one shows Liana sitting by a pool of what appears to be water that has little lights shining in it, and she coaxes them up into the sky, becoming the stars above, taking light from the depths to place it in the heavens. And the fifth tapestry depicts uh, the three celestial divines standing in the dark eternity of night, arrayed around a circle of green and blue, and they each hold a hand out towards the center with their holy symbols held aloft, similar to the statues around the pool of reflection in the catacombs. But no more writing. No more writing. Jovan will take a moment and write down um, the, uh, the inscription that Melian read. Just so that he can refer to it later um, by somebody who might recognize where the language is from. Mm. It would be useful to know about maybe the history of the Abbey and also maybe about the history of Malian, if he's forgetting where he went. Mm-hmm. Probably if I don't forget, uh, Yovan will also take a quick trip down to the catacombs and now that I'm thinking about it, take down the inscription on the door as well, along with the translation of what it said. Both examples. I think those are the only two examples we're fond of that writing, huh? Sadly, the writing for the door you can't access anymore. Ah, we can't shut the door? It's open only? Or at least you haven't figured out a way to to close it. 
you would have known that from earlier. We can say you don't need to go back down to write it. I feel like there's something else that I was meaning to do, but I've completely forgotten it. Um, so I won't hold things up further. Cass, there were more tapestries on the lower level, right? There were three tapestries, one depicting each god. Right, but no more, no writing down there. If you quickly take a glance down there and run down there to look, you don't find any more writing on them either. Okay, good. Aside from, like, a corner that's that's what their name is, and one epithet. Got it. Liana, Queen of Starlight. Gnosis, Curator of Dreams. Soul, Lightbringer. Got it. And with that, are you guys going to do any more investigation up here in this room, or retire for the night? I think I'm ready to retire for a has been asleep this whole time. <laughs> yeah. That's mm-hmm. a character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I haven't taught her well. Get to sleep while oh, you're Oh, it's just time for, like, looking at stuff and doing, like, smart people things. I'm out. Good night. Yeah, I'm not sure how Melian got dragged into the smart people things with his intelligence of eight, but here we are. Well, you can read the mystery seeker in language. I mean, it's not just intelligence. Uh, I can... It's also... The insight on how things fit together, and Melian offers a unique perspective for that. Mm-hmm. Melian can just barely read, but that's about his that's about his intelligence level. He's got good street smarts. On the note of reading, the brother did leave the journal that he had found the drawing of the crystal in it. That got scooped. Absolutely. It's in Vladimir Yovan's bag. It's never seen the light of day. <laughs> He's never given it up. So... You have that, and yes. uh, if I remember correctly, you guys still do have, from the end of last session, the fourth brother's journal. Yes, I have Badly papers. damaged, but it's still there. Yep. Actually, no, you guys repaired the damage. You repaired the damage, but you... It's still heavily unreadable. Heavily unreadable, yeah. Yep. We did read that, right? Yep. Yeah, okay, I'm not going crazy. With that, is there anything you guys would like to do, or would you like to retire? I mean, I have one more question for the abbot, but it can wait till the morning, because he's busy. The abbot has gone to prayer. Yeah, so Quora's not going to disturb him. Melian is also asleep. Yovan and Quarry, are you guys going to leave Melian and Faleth sleeping in these armchairs overnight? Are there two more armchairs? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Uh, Yovan just sits down um, and figures that he'll just close his eyes for a moment, and then you know, get them into bed after he up and about and then probably pass out himself. I think Quarry would just go find a bed and we'll trust the others to find their way to bed when they eventually wake up. And with that, you guys can all take a long rest. Faileth, you are the first to awaken, as usual. Ugh! My spells! My beautiful new spells! Hitting the long rest button. (gasps) I've got 40 hit points again! I've got all my spell slots! Ah, it's glorious! It's bloody glorious! Just wait till I use major image. You don't even know what's coming. Uh, yeah, I wake up. Uh, what are you gonna do? It's still dark out. As always. I mean, part of her wants to explore, but the other part of her doesn't want to run into the children. 
Well, you are in the observatory still. There are four telescopes, and then there is a strange small contraption of orbs, bands of metal, gears, and lenses. Ooh, sounds like a toy! Let's play with the contraption. This small contraption is comprised of concentric circles that slowly rotate on a body of clicking gears beneath it, each circle rotating at a different rate. Rising from each circle are thin mountings of various metals, upon which nine orbs of different colored crystals sit. The entire contraption appears to be slowly rotating. Uh, I see if I can, like, bat them around. You definitely can. As you do, the sounds of the gears speed up. You can move them out of their rotation and alignment. While doing this, you realize that one orb in the center, though, doesn't move. Looking at it closer, you notice that in the center is a larger sphere of yellowish crystal that is etched with small, intricate designs. Then there are two smaller spheres, one a translucent turquoise, and the next a translucent crimson. Then, where there is the third orb, you notice that there is actually another set of concentric rings. This one, the larger of them, is an orb of aquamarine with jets of green that run through it. While rotating on separate rings around this orb, specifically, there are three smaller orbs. A dull gray, a pale amethyst, and a brilliant white. After these rings, the two final orbs rotating around the main one. The first is of a sort of a dusty beige color, and the last is a purple so dark it is almost black. Like the central orb, all of them are carefully carved with little lines that perhaps would make up designs under further magnification. Does it... I guess I should probably roll a uh, an insight check to see if it reminds of, say, the night sky. Go right ahead. My negative one to insight here. Actually, give me, um... Oh. <laughs> I know! I know great. what it is! <laughs> I know exactly what it is! Uh, so, it's a nat 20, but uh, it would be 19 with my negative one. I'll give you three things. This doesn't exactly remind you of the night sky as you know it, but you have seen one of these before. This is an orrery. You once met an astronomer's ghost Ooh. who had a spiritual version of one of these, and he explained that it isn't a representation of the night sky in its entirety, it's actually a representation of the planets or the celestial bodies that move in the heavens. While Faelith wasn't very interested in the tapestries earlier, they do have pretty pictures. And one of the orbs on this contraption is aquamarine and green, similar to the representation on the tapestry that shows the three divines looking down upon the world. So, you can pretty easily pinpoint which world is meant to represent this one, though you only know of two moons, so what that third completely white sphere is, you have no mm. idea. Additionally, 
On the rings and edges are various symbols and lines, some of pictures or astrological symbols, others are small sets of lines capped with circles. Making fantastical designs. She looks at it and shrugs and goes, Ugh, artistic liberties. You know what? With that high roll, uh, you also notice that on the rings, the metal spigots that all the orbs not spigots, uh, sticks that all the orbs are standing up on, you can, as you rotate them, there are actual spots where you can sort of push them off and they lock into a specific position, no longer being able to move around. I don't know that she would. I mean, she's definitely curious. I think she would just kind of go to town on it. Roll me an investigation check. Oh, I'm good at that, though. So plus four, eight. So you are playing around with it, and you have locked in about half of them when you realize that the half that you've locked in, all when you move them sort of to a specific spot, line up perfectly and stay locked. You can't move them anymore. Well, it's boring now. You gonna go curl back up in the chair? Yeah, I suppose. Maybe I'll peek through a telescope first, just to see if the stars are back. Roll me a 1d4. 2. You are looking up through a telescope towards a constellation comprised of 33 stars that roughly compose the outline of a crab that bears a jagged mountain upon its back. I thought the stars were gone. And looking through this telescope, you can almost swear that you can actually see the outline around it like in those illuminated star charts. Like a giant ghost crab with a mountain in the sky. Uh, Is there a window I can look out to see if the actual stars are back? So if you look, you you can look out the massive oculus window that all these smaller telescopes are pointed out of, and through those you can see the stars. But when you go down... And you're looking out the foyer, out, out the windows that aren't through the oculus. It looks like pitch black night. No stars, nothing. I wonder if this telescope can see through the barrier. Or if it's even the barrier that's hiding the stars to begin with. I better ask you, Ovin. As you're voicing that, uh, you actually see, coming out of the shadows, one of the monks. Yes. The oculus... Is an enchanted artifact that has been with this abbey for many centuries. It was apparently constructed specifically for the abbey. Its exact capabilities we don't know, but it is said that it was imbued with the will of each of the celestial triad. Even If the clouds completely cover the sky, one can simply look through the oculus and it is as if the clouds are not there at all. There is no piece of magic, no natural barrier, no illusion that it cannot pierce. Can it see through the barrier? I don't know what barrier you're talking about, but... The one that's around the town, the reason we cannot leave. The reason the stars are out when you look up at the sky. I don't actually know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. The reason we're trapped in town. The, the barrier, the ritual thingamajigget, which went wrong. And, like, trapped us here. 
How did we not know about that? Maybe the abbot will know more. Ugh, bloody helpful you are. Does the telescope rotate 360 degrees, or 180 degrees? Possibly. Time to point it, point it at Melian. Did you want something? Oh, I had just come up to survey the stars. They're quite beautiful, don't you think? Well, don't let me stop you. Just go about your business, and you see him siddle, settle down in one of the remaining chairs pulled up against the telescope, and he leans over off to the side, and he begins to slowly move, looking at different portions of the sky, and he starts making some notes on a pad. Uh, she starts mocking him behind his back, exaggeratedly uh, mimicking his gestures and making dumb faces at him, because he is clearly annoying. He will be doing this for hours. Phelis got nothing else to do. It's a couple, it's like maybe an hour or two before dawn when you guys have all technically had a long rest. How late are you guys going to sleep? Mari usually rises a little bit before dawn to kind of, you know, get up, wash their face, go do their prayers. Melian will sleep until someone makes him stop sleeping. Cory would probably nudge Jovan, having observed that he does seem to be at least sometimes interested in observing the Lumen to see if he would like to keep sleeping or if he'd like to come with them. Uh, he'd wake up for Lumen, yeah. The two of you go off and you go up to the chapel to observe the Lumen and you actually you might be surprised, you might not be, but all of the monks are up here, including the abbot, and you all observe the Lumen together. The abbot says that there is a breakfast porridge if everyone would like that has been prepared. It has been simmering all night. That sounds like an excellent way to start our day before our journey and the tasks that we have ahead of us. You'll find no objection in me. You guys are gonna grab Faelith and Melian? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Bring along the whole crew. Yeah! Did someone say food? <laughs> I thought someone said food. Yes, it is time for breakfast. Ah. Oh, good, I am famished. I'm bored. Even making fun of this monk isn't fun anymore, so I'll come. With that, you guys have breakfast. What would you like to do now? Before we leave, like over breakfast, I would ask the... i make small talk with the abbot, probably would have asked where the archaeological dig is. He says that the archaeological dig is up at the Janice Mine. Mm. And it is... A few hours away from the abbey. I'd take a moment and check in on Robert. If he's in a state to be, you know, checked up on him. Robert came to breakfast. He didn't come to dinner. Uh, he has a bandage wrapped around the side of his head. And he is a bit out of it and woozy. But he is very glad that you checked on him. And he says a prayer to Sol, to Gnosis, and Liana. Says that he wished he could be standing at your side today. After... After we clear all this up, everything goes right, as of course it will. I'm going to be looking for the others. Would you be willing and able to leave your place here to come with? Give me some time to think. It took uh, a lot to put that behind me, but... Let me think about it. If you ever do want to reach out, uh, you know, take a shred of paper and note down his address in Drummer Hollow. 
I was on South Ireland. Um, Thank you. You haven't seen the last of me. And I'm sure to the gods, I haven't seen the last of you. I can't get rid of me that easy. I just... I still like looking at a ghost. I'm just glad to, to have found you here. You and me both. you're gonna look for Folly and Longtop they went south we're heading towards the Badlands maybe even down to the Republic Um, I haven't gotten any word from them so maybe you'll run into them at some point do me a favor if if a month passes and for whatever reason I, I don't come back the uh the pool and the catacombs it will clear uh, it can't be used often or else the, the curse will come back but if I'm not back in a month check up on them will ya? don't want me to check up on you first you don't want to look so many times do you know how many times uh, I keep it to the once twice if you're desperate don't go for the third trouble starts then okay thank you I'll be sure to keep an eye and if I see anything interesting I'll do my best to let you know but uh maybe I'll come with just uh, give me some time to think of course I'll head back to the table with uh, the other three. Before we go, Corey has two other things that they'd like to talk to the Abbot about. Yep. Abbot, do you know anything about a shard or a key? No, I'm sorry, I don't. Um, There are many keys to different doors in the Abbey. He holds up a large key ring. Hmm. I don't think it's that kind of a key. I'm not sure what it is, but apparently it can be used to open the way or to stop the Red Wind. And the cultists were seeking it here. When I returned to Dwemer Hollow, I thought perhaps I would send word to get you some aid. The cultists did not find what they were looking for, and though it would be hard for them to come back with our guard raised, if we don't send you help, it would not be as hard as it should be for th- to stop them. We will be on our guard, but we would greatly appreciate further aid. I thought that I would ask if the church could spare some protectors of dusk to assist you, but... As this abbey is dedicated to the Celestial Triad, perhaps there are other paladins, or what would you wish? If you seek out the Protectors of Dusk, please request that aid be sent. I have in the past had communications with some bishops of the Salarian Church. 
As for the Church of Liana and Gnosis, I do have connections that I will reach out to. I will also be reaching out to the garrison in the city below. Ah, the... I'm afraid... The garrison is no more. Oh. I will be sending word then to the capital. Perhaps if you will wait a few moments, I, I will write a letter that you may take to Dwemer Hollow. Perhaps they can send aid quicker. I would be honored to do so. I greatly appreciate your assistance and your generosity. There is something I wish to give you. And Quarry will take Pedrig's journal out of their bag and say, I have taken the information that I think that I need, and perhaps it would be best if this artifact of the Abbey's history stay with you. That journal is one of the main reasons they came here. Yes. I do not wish to sound uh, ungrateful. I thank you for the offer to return it, but... I fear that it would bring more danger upon us. If it were to remain here. I am happy to keep it if that is what you wish. I just had no wish to remove anything from the Abbey that I didn't feel was necessary. And Cory gives him a bit of a look like, um, my party may feel differently, but I'm, you know, I'm doing what I can. He nods and he places the book back into your hands and closes your fingers over it. He says, please keep it. Thank you. Perhaps it will aid you more in determining more about the Red Wind or the Shard that you, you so speak of. Well, I hope that the opportunity to continue to meditate upon its contents will prove fruitful for us. There is much to do and I... We should probably be setting out. Please do. I will. I will write that letter. You see him go and he wanders off and he takes a seat in the scriptorium down in the floor below and begins to write the letter for you. And by the time you guys have finished your breakfast and have made your way, he has sealed the letter and hands it off to you. The Tenorian monks follow you to the gates, as does Estrella and the children, and they send you off, wishing you well. One of the children uh, tugs on the back of Jovan's coat, and looks up and says, You were really brave, Mr. Jovan. I'm gonna be just like you one day. You're my hero. To Yovan? Mm-hmm. No idea why. But the child does it. Yovan will thank the kid. Give him a, a confident thumbs up. <laughs> the kid breaks out into a big smile and runs back to the other kids. And as you guys are slowly making your way, you hear some of the kids yell down to you guys. When we grow up, we're gonna be heroes just like you! <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, kids. No, be better. <laughs> that was inspiring, Melian. 
what's all about inspiring. Making me sick over here. Kyovin's gonna check what it was that was stuffed in his jacket. Oh, you think something was stuffed in your jacket? <laughs> You're gonna search the pockets? Uh, if Yovan wouldn't have noticed, then... Well, Yovan might have noticed. <laughs> if he noticed, he'll check, yeah. Okay, so Yovan, you, you go to check. You check your pockets to make sure he didn't lift your purse or anything like that. Uh, and you do notice that there is wrapped in a small little cloth napkin a piece of cheese and a few nuts. Aww. All right. Lucky... <laughs> It pays to be a hero. In cheese and nuts, apparently. Currency of the realms. I did get the letter from the abbot before we left, right? Yes, you did okay. get the letter from the abbot before Whew. you guys left. And with that, it takes you about an hour, an hour and a half. And you descend down to Barrowman's. Did he tell me who to give it to in Dwemer Hollow? Yes, he did. Okay, sorry. I'm just writing it down and I'm like, wait, I have a letter to deliver to Dwemer Hollow. <laughs> just the city. Just get it to there. He directed it to the High Magistrate. Oh, good. <laughs> Since get it to Dwemer Hollow. Hold it up in the air and let go and hope. It will be a miracle. That's right. And the wind will take it where it needs to go. And then a dung beetle will push it around for a while. <laughs> and then a monkey will smell it. And then the and wind will the catch it and it'll flutter back. a bit. And it'll write out SFX, but everyone will controversially think it says sex for very long. And then a uh, llama will kick in the door and goes, I'm a llama again! No, wait. <laughs> I've been turned into a cow. Can I go home? <laughs> oh, Man, I love that movie so much. That movie is so good. Why do we even have that? Alright, Melian starts to, like, do stretches on the way down. Because he knows that if someone's going to have to lift all those kids out of their all those people out of their beds and drag them into the middle of the square. It's going to be him, probably. At least half. So he's mm -hmm. doing his stretches. Faelith will manage to get one while Melian gets all the others. <laughs> by the time Faelith gets it to the square, he'll be covered in bruises. But I'll do Yona myself. She's important. <laughs> this poor old woman just donk. No, it's Nelly. Nettie. No, no. Yona's, Yona's my little friend. Yes, yes. I was... I was thinking of it. <laughs> you drag Nettie out. Donk, I don't think I donk, could lift Nettie. Donk! <laughs> You're not gonna do Quaaludes? <laughs> eh, I mean, I like Quaaludes, and I will give him the, the shiny thing for his mom, but Yona's the only one who's not annoying as shit. I'm surprised you think Faileth could pick out which one was Quaaludes. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't. He's, he's one of the boy ones. <laughs> <laughs> In the expediency of, I'm not going to actually make you guys go through every single house and room <laughs> to grab all the bodies. Thank you. Uh, I'm sure the listeners greatly appreciate that. <laughs> I would be driven mad as we went through the next eight or so sessions. Um, 
And then I pick up this body and this body, because I'm strong enough to carry two, and I drag them over, I throw them over my shoulders, and I walk them outside. We'll just do a bunch of weight calculations. How many people can I carry at once? Well, they wouldn't fit down the stairs. Well, uh, I'll lower them out the window. I have a pulley system that Yovan has come up with, where I, I tie a rope to their head and their feet, and then... <laughs> there's a sub-quest as we find out that there's somebody who was napping out of the woods when everything went down. <laughs> oh yeah, that's great. That'll make for very engaging audio. So you guys first, in Upper Bearman's, check the mayor's uh, section of the Gessa estate. And you find a couple... Uh, you find the mayor and enough servants that all of you are able to appropriately carry without needing to make a second trip up to Upper Barabans. Good, good. I mean, oh, presumably, good. Well, yep. there was the crate that they were using to haul bodies anyways. That... Oh yeah, there's we the cart. We go back up and get that cart with the donkey. Uh, they sent you with the cart and donkey because yes. you nice. asked about it. Good I work. make the donkey waffles! <laughs> <laughs> That is my contribution well, now to this we'll, quest. Now we'll never get rid of this donkey. <laughs> I want it. I'm going to name it Bill. Faileth, I have a very important important assignment for you. Does it have something to do with pancakes for this donkey named Bill? Sadly, no. But oh. could you gather us as many torches as you can find? We need... For some reason, an essential part of this working will be us having torches at midday. I suppose. Come on, Bill. Oh, no, wait. You've got to do the bodies. All right. Let's go, feet. (laughs) Over the next few hours, you load the various unconscious almost breathless, almost lifeless bodies of the townsfolk onto the cart and bring them out into the streets outside of their homes. Some you bring closer to the center of town. You note that every time that you bring a body out, if its ephemeral projection notices it, it lets out a gut-wrenching shriek and then fades, vanishing. As it fades, an almost pool of inky darkness remains on the ground there. I love how you phrase it as like, you might casually notice that one of folk <laughs> screeches out upon <laughs> witnessing its body. It turns into a pool of blackness. You know, as one does. As an aside. I did casually notice that. I ignored it. Faileth, you are yeah. successful in gathering a number of torches. Your mother even points out some torches that you almost didn't notice. She seems very on edge, being as helpful as possible, as if she is unsure of your safety. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. This bodes well. Faileth just assumes that uh, she's trying to get back on my good side after me being mad at her for the last little while, and doesn't take it as a bad sign finally being helpful. That might also be true. <laughs> How are you guys... What are you guys going to do with the torches? I'm going to put them in a pile and then walk away from them <laughs> because somebody else knows what to do with them better than me. 
<laughs> That's a bold assumption. Um, Yovan's going to light them, I guess. Uh, not all in a pile, but like. Yeah, I feel like so Corey would sort of try to arrange them maybe in a circle around us that we can stand in. Corey has no idea what the heck we're meant to be doing Melian, with these things. Melian but... spent some, some time trying to get the bodies to like hold the torches upright, so that they, <laughs> um, but rapidly notices when he keeps doing the unlit ones, so they keep dropping them into their faces, and he's like, maybe this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> While they're doing that, Yovan, what are you doing? Glancing through the journal... Uh, that the other priest found and desperately hoping that there's more information that uh, the priest forgot to include. So, the journal that you are reading belonged to an individual that went by the name of Nevin Tenor. Oh, that's ominous. Okay. A name that actually reminds you of something. Of... How do I put it? A interesting... The comment that came from the three brothers. Where they read your soul. I'll remind you what they said. A troubling soul. Partly seen, partly unseen. You follow the path that Nevin walked. Written upon the pages of the Black Book. Tread carefully that you do not fade from this world as those who came before you, though through you the art may return or be lost to time. Seek out Nevin's footsteps and the rings he sought to gather. Armed with them and the six books, you may halt your fate. Ooh. I didn't expect to be finding uh, evidence of Nevin quite so quickly, but okay. I might, upon noticing the uh, owner of the journal, look a little more depth. Still focusing right now on the bits concerning the crystal. Flipping through the journal, it seems to be talking about different, mostly about different objects. And as you're going through it, you get a feeling that he might have been a thief <laughs> who specialized in arcane artifacts. Hmm. Oh, what a strange specialization for somebody to have. Uh, there is one that does catch your eye in it there's a couple pages that do to be honest one of the pages though that catches your eye talks about a ring or what it refers to as multiple rings what it calls are the ring of the many and it says that the rings were created by the leader of the Iltharan Spell Thieves that were known as the Unseen Hand and that these rings were worn by his servants called the Fingers. Before the fall of the Iltharan Magiocracy and the loss of their creation, he says that in his the journal says that at, basically that at, at this point he had discovered five of the rings but that he was confident that nine other that four others remained for a total of nine I'm just going to comfortably ignore the uncomfortable um, uncomfortable literary parallels of nine rings of power and move on <laughs> <laughs> nine rings to rule them all 
and then the darkness bite them. Potatoes. Boil <laughs> them, mash them, stick them in a stew. You know, as you catch your fish. It talks about what the rings might be able to do, and it talks about unseen hands and an increase in power of some kind. He, he says something about it being so much easier when you have eight hands to do things with. Well, he couldn't wait to have twelve. Okay, let's store that one for, for later. The journal, specifically talking about the Friashan, talks about it not as a specific artifact, but as multiple as in there is more than one of these gems out there. And you can see there is notation that is not the same as the writer's that is saying, does this word translate to contain great power or prison of great power? Continuing on, it goes through and it doesn't talk about how to bring magic into the gem, it doesn't actually even talk about how to take magic out of it, but it does say a ser- it does list a series of words that almost seem to be an invocation or a call. And there is a warning in there that the Friashan have a will of their own, and that their view of what is right and wrong can be very skewed as can their sense of humor. Uh, all of Yovin's previous experience with anything magical with a sense of humor has been overwhelmingly negative. <laughs> okay. Uh, we can... We can work with that. Uh, after... After we have the bodies assembled and the torches lit, the open's going to wait till just before noon, uh, before he reads aloud the incantation. Are you going to hold the gem aloft with your invisible hand? That would seem thematic, wouldn't it? Yeah. Right above the central town fountain, I guess. As you raise the gem above your head and begin to intone the words, Yovin, you can hear almost a buzzing, inaudible, though at first it appears almost at the edge of your mind. Above you, the gem begins to glow brightly with a pulsating rhythm like that of a heart. And you begin to realize that it is glowing to the very beat of your own heart. Do you continue the incantation? Well, I mean, it would be a bit silly to give up now, yeah. Who are you to demand that we free what lies within us? And with that, we will end tonight's session.
Thank you for listening to Roll With Adventure, where we bring you this story from our imagination to your ears. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe for future episodes, rate us where you get your podcast, and visit us at www.rollwithadventure.com. If you'd like to contact us, you can write us at dm at rollwithadventure.com. Our intro and outro music is Brave by Arcane Anthems. Thanks for the components of this episode's soundscapes. Go to zapsplat.com, Purple Planet Music, and Arcane Anthems. Full credits are in the episode description. Designed to... I'm middle of session, but thank you. Oh, sorry. Um, where was I? I? Completely lost it. Uh, right. You were talking about control. individuals that were more scholarly inclined. Yeah. Um, you have what? Shape changer is a. <laughs> oh, I just like I don't know. Maybe the audio just went funny, but I heard because I have. Mm-hmm. Oh, because I have shape change. <laughs> okay. Mm. I'm sad. Oh, I could have been recording that. Don't do that. Thing about Beyond, please. Oh, it's Sasha. Don't do this. Please, I beg.